Welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and I am super stoked about this week's show. Um, as you may be aware, if you listened to our podcast earlier in the week on Tuesday, where we got the, most of the Outsports team together to talk about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and LGBTQ athletics, we here at SB Nation are doing uh, a Marvel Week, uh, an, yet another example of our themed weeks that we have been running with, um, as sports have been uh, pretty much at a standstill throughout this pandemic. And uh, this week, of course, we are doing a Marvel Week, and that, um, honestly, it it speaks to me. I have been a fan of um, of comics for uh, most of my life, a uh, big fan of cinema for most of my life, so obviously I have delved deep into the superhero films, uh, both MCU and prior, um, a very deep, deep love for those things, and I love to see things that, that I enjoy intermingle in a way, and... I think that that makes uh, the two topics that we're talking about on this week's show um, is probably the two best ways that Marvel ties into what we discuss on this show. Um, one, we have to, well, we have two awesome guests to talk about these things. One is how wrestling and comics, video games, nerd culture in general have this. Um, intersectionality and we have a, a producer of uncanny attractions and host of the queer nerd podcast um darnell mitchell on the show to talk about that um as well as a little bit about our second topic which of course is lgbtq representation within the mcu um or the uh i guess this is the parenthetical lack thereof <laughs> um uh we touched on that a little bit with, with Darnell, but I also brought back one of my close friends um, who has a deep, deep knowledge of not just the MCU, but comics as a whole, um, Hollis Adler, who uh, was featured on the Open Till Midnight episode of the show a few weeks back, um, which I really enjoyed doing. And uh, honestly, is these are the kinds of conversations that I would have with, with friends, um, both new and old, um, on just any old time just hanging out on the front porch or hanging out at a bar, anything like that. So it was really cool to be able to have uh, more in-depth versions of those discussions. Uh, and I thought that it was a very good opportunity having this theme fall in my lap to have some very important discussions about how these, thing, these uh, characters and these stories that have made billions of dollars... <laughs> to this point, um, how they interact with communities that um, maybe you don't get the same opportunity or haven't been provided the same opportunity in that way. So I'm not going to take up any more time here during this intro. We're just going to jump right into it. Um, so please enjoy uh, Marvel Week here on LGBT in the Ring. All right, guys, guys, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And in keeping with our Marvel Week theme um, all across SB, the SB Nation family here this week, I thought it would be fun to have a guest on that can speak to both pro wrestling 
and comics and talk about some of the uh, the intertwining of the two because dear lord do they play off of one another in many many ways and uh, the, I think the perfect person to have that discussion is uh, producer of Uncanny Attractions Mr. Darnell Mitchell how are you doing? I am doing great in this quarantine how are you doing? I am doing uh, adequate to a static. Depends on the day, but what... <laughs> it does depend on the day, right? And yeah. yesterday, I felt I had a I had a great day yesterday. I did a lot of I'm working from home. I did a lot of like cool appointment stuff. I also watched like three hours of an Animal Crossing walkthrough. I felt really good about myself. <laughs> hey, that's staying productive though. There's a lot to learn about that game. So, there is. and I don't have a switch, so I'm really just living vicariously through him. In some ways, that's probably the best way to interact with Animal Crossing. Um, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a conversation that can go forever in a different direction, though. Um, I'm super glad to have you back on the show. Um, and I know the main reason why I wanted to have you on is because obviously you have a foot in pro wrestling with Uncanny Attractions as well as some of the other work you've done in other promotions over the years. Um, but you also have a fairly extensive knowledge of comics. And I believe, um, as you told me before we started recording, you have spent part of the quarantine like rewatching all of the MCU. Is that correct? Yes, uh, I did. It was one of the first things I wanted to do uh, was I was like, oh, well, because I had just, previously watched all of Star Wars because I realized I haven't seen the original in 20 years. So I figured, hey, uh, I have Disney Plus. Thank you, Verizon, for giving me one free year. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I'll just knock off some of my phone bill, please. But uh, yeah, it was the first thing I decided to do. All of the movies are on there. A couple of films I had to get off of Amazon. But uh, it was there's this sort of sense of nostalgia when you think about the MCU universe. And when you kind of look back on it, there are some very interesting ups and downs in the MCU. It was really, it was really cool to revisit that. Highly recommend it. Yeah. No, like there's like, there are plenty of films that I've in that series that I've seen maybe like once or twice and just haven't really gone back to. So like, I would imagine like going back and rewatching everything would be a, a on it, one, it kills a lot of time, and two, um, it's it, you see like this sort of evolution within the series itself that I think lands in a pretty good spot by the end. Like I think the the I don't know. I've had this conversation with other people. I think like the most recent, the films in recent years have been probably the best because I like obviously with anything you have to find your footing. Um, but like Thor Ragnarok, I think was like the line of demarcation where it's just like this is this is where they finally get what they can actually do with something like this i i yeah i agree to i agree to an extent on that particular movie choice uh but you know one of the things about the mcu uh, that i always found hard to really get into you know these are comic books that my father raised me on um, but I'm a huge fan of the x-men movies which i know is not very popular to be a huge fan of the fox x-men movies uh, yeah, they've had their stumbles, but I felt that they made a active attempt for the most part to have some sort of emotional connection with the main characters and really flesh out certain people. Some people didn't get fleshed out. It's okay. But they also <laughs> uh, managed to change the narrative in each. I didn't feel like I was watching the same movie each time, which I think is 
really hard to do in comic book films when we know you want to hit that origin story. We know you want to hit this. Uh, there's these certain sort of um, bullet points that you have to hit throughout. Uh, I do think even in rewatching, uh, I thought this when I originally watched the, the movies and I still think this now, Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy changed our idea of what they could do. Mm. Winter Soldier is, I, it's set up like none of the other films. And it's, it's great. It's interesting. It does a fantastic job of showcasing why Scarlet, I know we're not probably not supposed to talk about this, but Scarlet and Chris <laughs> are great in their roles. But, and Guardians of the Galaxy was our first realization of, I forget, I can curse or I cannot curse. You can, yeah. Okay. Uh, they were like, hey, he's a fucking raccoon. I don't know <laughs> what to do. I don't know what to do with this. Let's get Bradley Cooper and act Vin Diesel if he wants to say the same line over and over and give him $10 million. And it was a success. <laughs> I, I think when that came out, they were like, yeah, fuck it. Like, they are, they're Pixar. They're Pixar of the mid-2000s where they can do no wrong. Every film yeah. they come out with is going to make $700 million. Uh, more than likely, it'll make a billion. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, Guardians is a is a curious case to look at because like you're talking about a series that, you know, hardcore like cosmic Marvel fans know Guardians at least somewhat. But to like the general Marvel fan or the general like MCU fan, like the Guardians is something that comes completely out of left field. Like it's yep. it's not a, it's not anything that you would ever think would have a movie made about it. And then that comes out and does gangbusters. And that the, I think that was really the proof, like a a a point where they realized, oh, we could literally make a film about anything in this pantheon of characters. Like anyone could be featured, and we could do something like really outstanding with them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think that they there was definitely some. I mean, look at the way like comic book films really started. Uh, if you want to give credit to Blade, you definitely can. But I, I would give it to uh, a film that I still remember the release date. Uh, <laughs> but uh, July 14th, 2000, because it was like, or was it June 14th? Uh, it's one of the two. But it was like the happiest day of my life because X-Men was being a film and I could not understand that concept. Um, but you kind of have to give uh, uh, credit to them for utilizing a very well-known comic book series that had a cartoon associated with it same thing with spider-man same with thing with hulk these are like characters that are ingrained in normal society iron man was popular but iron man was still comic book popular not like the mainstream had knew of iron man but not they didn't know no of iron man so once they were kind of like taking these technically b-tiered comic books in the eyes of mainstream media and everyone was just lapping it up with the good like casting choices once you get to guardians you can do no wrong no wrong and i now imagine what they're going to do with x-men and fantastic four two of the biggest comic book uh properties ever you know and they're grubby billionaire <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it'll be very interesting to see how they introduce those characters into this franchise down the line I'm sure there's like speculation abounding all over the place. I'm sure, um, but I don't know. It, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But 
I think we talk about like the fan bases that kind of tie into this. I, I think pro wrestling, the wrestlers themselves, and a lot of people that follow pro wrestling, there's a lot of overlap, I feel, with that and comic book fandom or even just like comic book movie fandom. You know, um, I think obviously there's like this old, the old, the adage that WWE like uses constantly where like, you know, we're, we're real life superheroes. I think it was, that was like the moniker for Rey Mysterio for the longest time. And now it's been mm-hmm. cast onto Ricochet and to the point where every promo he says it and I, it cringes me every time. But, um, <laughs> but it's like Ricochet, Ricochet also can't talk. You're cute. Just, Stand there, <laughs> do some flips, and you know, um, you've got a great butt. Just live your best life with your caramel macchiato skin, but don't talk. Yes, thank you. Yes, no, but um, but like even though like the even though like that moniker has definitely been like overplayed, like wrestling is the closest thing that you have to that in real life, and and there's been a lot of crossover between between the two. Um, whether you look at, you know, a lot of wrestlers like implementing like cosplay type, um, gear into like special events, or even like looking at someone like Stephen Amell who like portrayed Green Arrow, uh, for the, for years and then decided to step into the ring just off of an off chance of like hitting it off with Cody Rhodes on set. Um, what do you think, like kind of, what do you think is the through line that really makes that connection like click in a way? I think it's um, I think it's the the feeling of being a outcast and kind of wanting something more for yourself. Um, I think what's really interesting, and this is uh, totally me projecting. I, I could be completely wrong, like I am most of the time, but I can't remember a lot of wrestling references besides like Rey Mysterio when I was a kid in professional wrestling. So it feels like there was this group of 90s, you know, maybe 80s uh, teenagers that are now implementing that in wrestling now, if that makes sense. Um, Oh, yeah. And I think that that also one of the reasons is because, look, the people who were wrestling in the 90s were bigger than life. They were huge. They were all six foot six. Uh, They were all very lucky boys. (laughs) <laughs> and very like lucky women but now the average wrestler looks like us you know not everyone is six six and towering um they're relatable they are the same outcasts that we were when we were children and now they get to be that superhero so i think that's also why it's been amplified in the past couple of years these these people who saw wrestling in the 80s and the 90s this way and now get to showcase it um in a world where Cosplaying is cool now, which is still kind of weird that it's cool. It's great, uh, but it's so weird. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I think there's always a sense of, you know, who can I relate to? Who, how can I be a hero while being an average person? What that I think you see a lot in wrestling. Like, look at Ricochet is a perfect example. Rey Mysterio is even a perfect example. Like, if you saw them walking down the street, you'd be like, yeah, that guy's hot, but like you wouldn't think that that gentleman's a wrestler because he looks like an average man compared to someone like Macho Man Randy Savage, who's six foot four. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's yeah. a sense of camaraderie and a, a sense of just kind of um, 
hey, I can be something more than what I thought I was as a kid. Uh, that I think always is a story that resonates with superheroes in general, and it kind of correlates with wrestlers. No, I mean that that sort of like premise really does resonate through um, through comic books as a whole. Like, think about how many like superhero origin stories kind of play off of that idea of like being the misfit and then all of a sudden like you find out there's something like super special about you that makes the turns you into this like larger than life thing that can actually impact the world around you in either a positive negative or sometimes very murky way um i don't know it's 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 interesting considering like how the fandoms like kind of experience similar treatments through through different eras, you know, like obviously we're now we're in an era where like it's cool to to be a comic book fan. Um, but like, you know, I remember growing up, like outside of the the nineties attitude era boom, like sometimes people were very uh, quick to to judge people who were like super into pro wrestling in the same similar way that they would like have the same these sort of like cultural ideals that put like these negative images on, on comic book fans as well. Um, do you think any of, of like these similar like cultural framings kind of impacted that too? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think the, the connection between people who like wrestling and uh superheroes and you can even go further and say video games and all mm. that quote-unquote nerd culture stuff um, a lot of it's also we're all socially awkward <laughs> yes yes we are <laughs> yeah we're all no matter what like sort of I'm awkward as hell and no matter what type of demeanor I showcase in 280 characters on twitter uh and I think we were so also used to, to liking something that's not popular. Um, it is weird that they kind of run hand in hand because I would say that, you know, I, I agree. I got a lot of shit for being a pro wrestling fan. I got less shit for being a comic book nerd, but a lot of shit for being a pro wrestling fan. Um, also being a queer kid in the South, or why do you like that stuff? You know, you like it because it's too old man. I'm like, yes. But also, because of this, <laughs> this, this, that, that. Um, and a lot of that has dissipated in the past couple of years. I am a frequent, uh, I love to drink, and I frequent a bar that I used to work at. And every Monday, if I come here after work, I walk in. They know to turn it to raw. Like, come in on a Wednesday to turn it. And a couple of people in the bar will look at it. They will, might see something positive, might see something uh, negative. Uh, but most of the time, there's someone else in that part that's a wrestling fan that wanted to watch wrestling and just didn't want to ask. And I, I think that we as a society are also getting, it's becoming more mainstream, which is great in a way. Uh, I think AEW has actually helped quite a bit when it comes to that. Uh, but I think Glow has helped uh, a bit. Yes. Uh, a lot, actually. You know, Total Divas has, will never get the credit it deserves um, for being extremely influential to a demographic that wrestling was never catering to. Um, I, I, I think that it's uh, wrestling and superheroes and time of books and nerd culture are all part of the same sort of, I guess, um, that might be a word. I might've just made that up. 
and <laughs> and going through ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and they are always uniquely uh, kind of um, stuck together. Uh, I think because at the end of it, like being a if you're a wrestling fan, you kind of have to be a comic book fan. Uh, so a lot of these um, sort of uh, the way we, we handle things, our, our demeanors, our personalities always will be intertwined. Did that mm. answer your question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I believe so. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. I was like, for a second, I was like, where am I going? <laughs> I was like, I think it's I always, this question. It's always a fun journey. Whenever you're trying, like, because these things get very complicated at times. So, like, no, it perfect. Yeah. It's, just, it's one of the reasons that I will never understand. You know, the first time I went to Comic Con, it was, um, I secretly kind of cried because um, I took myself and it was just me because I always wanted to do something like that. And it was, it, it was amazing. You know, I like saved up the money to go when I got to see cosplay, which I had never really seen before. And this is in New York. So I don't know, it's probably like 26 or something like that. But I, I remember the feeling I had when I saw a wrestling booth there. Uh, there was one wrestling booth that was LGBT plus, um, fans of wrestling and I was just like what the fuck is happening this is and and I think that was the realization of like how much the two were intertwined uh it is weird to me when I do meet wrestling fans who are not comic book fans or comic book fans who are not wrestling fans because they're literally the same thing I do not believe you can like one without not liking the other or at least the aspects of the genre of of the media because they're the same thing it's Good versus evil. It's who doesn't like good versus evil? Yeah. Like they all just there's there's such a sense of happiness in wrestling for the most for the most part, uh, and, and comic books where it's kind of like you want to see the good triumph, you want to see um, different people grow and learn and become more powerful and become more true to themselves, and that's and you want to see action and glitz and glamour. It's 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 mind-boggling to like one and not the other because they're the it, it's just they're twins. It's like Parent Trap. Lindsay Lohan is looking at herself here. Like, <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> it's impossible. Mary Kate or Ashley, it doesn't matter. We're in this together. It takes two. Um, it, it's yeah. No. It's perfect. Um, I I think my moment like that from was um I went to like a small little convention when I was living in Atlanta. I think it was Anime Weekend Atlanta. It was like it was the first time I've ever gone to anything like that, and um I saw someone cosplaying as John Cena at the mm-hmm. con, and I was like, oh okay, this is something I can grasp onto because like there's someone here that actually like there's like there's a mix. And it was the first time that I really saw that outside of like people, like the like the YouTube like supercut videos of like wrestling highlights with like Dragon Ball Z stuff, like mashed together. Like that's really that was like the first time I actually saw something that represented like that in person. And I was like, okay, so this it's not just me. Like there's there's a whole bunch of people that make these connections, you know. So it's really it's really interesting to see how that. Both, how both really have like grown in acceptance over time with one another, and and I think a lot, some of that also can be contributed to the the visual nature 
that we've seen it play out in pro wrestling with the the cosplay gear, like like we talked about earlier. Um, obviously, Rey Mysterio is the goat when it comes to that stuff, right? Um, right now, at least, like I I can. I think I wrote an article a while back for another site where just basically it was just here's the ten best Rey Mysterio like cosplays, and I, that was really fun to dive back in. I had completely forgotten that he that the Halloween Havoc uh, gear he was, was what, exactly. I had completely forgotten about that, and then I went back and looked at it again. I'm like, oh my god, he was still he was like he had like Spider Man themed gear in '96. <laughs> yeah. Yes, God, so good. Um, and then, of course, you know, other people outside of Ray have done it as well. Like we, I think the most notable recent example is, you know, Ricochet, like you pointed out with his um, his Nightwing gear. But we've also seen like anime come into it as well in a very interesting way. Like whether it's the New Day coming out dressed in their their DBZ um, armor, or even like Rhea Ripley having her like little Vegeta tribute um, during Mania this year. Um, what have been some of your favorite uh, like cosplay looks for for pro wrestlers over the years? So, um, first of all, that was an amazing segue, and I think you deserve an acknowledgement <laughs> of that segue. That was really good. Uh, Thank you. Second of all, uh, I'm really, really particular about my cosplays. Um, the reason being, uh, if you uh, are not aware of who I am as a person, because you don't know me, we don't know each other, I am a stylist. So I've been a stylist for 10 years. Uh, clothing is very important to me. Um, what you wear is a representation of yourself. You'll never not see me in a suit unless you come over to my house during quarantine. Um, because I, I want to put my best foot forward. Uh, this is how I like to represent myself. Uh, doing cosplay as a wrestler is hard because then you also remember these are still the same socially inept, awkward people that you were as a teenager getting to be a superhero. And the first thing that comes across their head is like, oh, I want to be this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. 90% of the time, it doesn't make sense. Um, wrestling and cosplay, like cosplaying and wrestling, um, it needs to tell a story. I, I don't think it always tells a story, but I love for it to tell a story because it should represent you, right? That's the connection. Uh, I think one of the people who does that really, really well is actually Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks, um, her Wonder Woman uh, gear for Royal Rumble 2018 yes. uh, is just beautiful, especially going into that knowing that she would be the quote-unquote Iron Man of that match and have the longest time so she was Wonder Woman in that match uh, stuff like that is just like that's an, an amazing imagery to think of um, even uh, what's her name Tegan Knox in her Captain Marvel gear yes uh, there was for me there was a correlation of Tegan Knox the woman who's knocked down, knocked down, knocked down over and over and over, not realizing how powerful she can be, uh, growing to be this great superstar at NXT and being more than just Dakota Kai's friend. Uh, that's a beautiful journey. And you can correlate that with even the MCU version of Captain Marvel, just not realizing her importance, not realizing her role, not realizing how powerful she truly is until breaking free from a relationship that she thought was really important to her. 
like those type of like cosplays I enjoy so much. Even if it's just me, you know, drunk sitting there like, hey, that's like this. Um, I can make those connections. I do think Johnny Gargano has. I know I'm doing a lot of NXT people, but Johnny Gargano has incredible looking cosplay gear. I don't think any of it ever relates to his character, and that's really frustrating to me. Um, yeah. But his gear looks superb. It's unbelievable what he can do with his gear. It's uh, it's incredible. What is, like actually like what like what's like one of your favorites? I know. Yeah, it's about you too. Oh, let's see. Um, God, I think. A, and also, a person, what do you what sorry. do you think about that statement too? What do you think about that well, statement about cosplaying needing to be a semblance of the character as well? Somebody give me Dark Phoenix. Somebody give me Dark Phoenix. Please, Bailey, yes. where you I, at, girl? Exactly. Right. Now is the time. <laughs> like you've changed up your look enough, you can change it up one more time. Damn it! Yeah, um, you're you're a real bad guy. Exactly. Um. Well, I'll, I, to to your point, I'll, I'll answer that one first. Um, I think that the best cosplay comes from whenever you have a, a connection to a character you know anybody like I, there are plenty of people that can that can put together a really nice looking cosplay or for for a character that's popular or that they think they can pull off really well but if you like find someone within this universe that you can like relate to and you can personify that relation by taking on that um that look and that and that persona i think that makes it even deeper and that that sort of that makes me more relate more with that person i'm a sucker for story i'm a sucker for subtext and that sort of stuff like is outstanding to me and that actually plays into one of my favorites because like i you know i it's hard to deny ray mysterio's work and the first, the one and only WrestleMania that I ever went to was WrestleMania 27, and that was whenever he came out dressed as Captain America. And to me, mm. that was one of the most bold statements that I could think of because you're in Atlanta, you are in the midst of. It wasn't like the worst time, I would say. It's not like current time for the relations between you know our neighbors to the south and and us um, as a country, but. You still had like these issues about. Uh, there's always been like conversations and, and issues around immigration and illegal aliens and, and all this other stuff. And to have a Mexican American man come out dressed as Captain America, representing like taking on the colors of the flag and representing a character who literally embodies what this country stands for. It was supposed to at least embody what this country stands for. Like that to me was just as much a political statement as it was a chance to wear some really rad gear. Um, I would say, Oh man. That's an incredible example. Yeah. Like that, that one always sticks with me and his black Panther look also, even though it was on like a very like small show for the crash down in, in, in uh, Mexico, like his, his black Panther gear, just in terms of like execution. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think. There was one more that was on the tip of my tongue, but I can't bring it back now. Um, well, uh, I was going to say, uh, while you're thinking of that, like, yeah. if people are, look, is great. It's fantastic. 
but I think it's it's also in wrestling. It's such a this is the thing about wrestling. You've got to utilize every single thing you have to forward the story. There's always a story. Like, so your gear should forward the story. If I'm seeing someone, um, one of my things I've, I've said uh, forever is that every single wrestler should watch Paris is Burning uh, because you need to, because like the correlations of drag, drag and wrestling, it, it's true. Uh, you know, there are other people who have said it, like no one, no one has a monopoly on that phrase. But the idea is that in the first five seconds, I should know who you are. I should, know your, I should know who your character is, and I should be able to bring someone who's never seen you before, and they should be able to say, oh, I get it. I know what to do this person or to this person. I know what this person's uh, journey is going. And I think it's really easily uh, handled by gear. Uh, an example of kind of a negative way to, to do that is whilst I understand your love for it is pure, uh, no shade, no tea, Cody Rhodes. But <laughs> he's always cosplaying, and they have no connection to each other. It's one day you're Star Trek, one day you're this, and I don't know. None of this has anything to do with who Cody Rhodes as a wrestling persona is. So there's, it's just show for show, and cosplay and superheroes. I feel like there's just so much more than that. Uh, then I want to look cool today. You can look cool while making a statement while being true to your character. The people who are always true to their character, those are wrestlers I enjoy. And the thing is, I know Cody can do it. Cody also pulled up, oh, shit. Cody pulled up one of my favorite cosplays ever that I just thought about right now. Uh, he did Doctor, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God, is it Doctor? Oh, Mr. Mr. Sinister. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, unbelievable. Face paint was great. He had the weird little ribbon things. Um, that's a great connection to the Stardust character. Like, that makes sense. I get it. I get the correlation. Star Trek? I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And you're scaring the dog. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to think about any of what is happening right now. Uh, yeah. But that, that Mr. Sinister look was unbelievable. Yes, it was outstanding. Um, I, that actually bringing up Cody's, uh, the Star Trek stuff that Cody's been doing actually brought back, jogged the memory. The the other one that I really like, basically anybody in Hood Slam that does any kind of like video game or superhero cosplay on any of their shows, like I love it. But Dark Sheik is Cyclock. Um, oh yeah, well, so one the execution perfect, and and second like I yeah like seeing her like pull like bring that out. Like it just, uh, it just so much about. Obviously, there's so much about Dark Cheek's character that, you know, plays into like a trans narrative. But then, like actually taking that and moving into the cosplay era where you're representing one of like the most, like I would say, complicated characters in the X Men lore, <laughs> and bringing yep. that into the ring, like so good, so good. She she actually routinely kills it uh, with her cosplay. Um, the skill that she has for all of that stuff is uh, uh, it's pretty cool. And you know the thing about her that also makes it a lot easier because it's so correlated to the conversation of uh, continuity when it comes to your character that you're portraying and the character that you are wearing the gear of. Uh, her being uh, Khan is 
seven different characters. You know, she she's chic. She's the uh, Nurse Ratchet. She can be so many different things. I mean, she has an entire character based off of Violet Hill. Like, she she can be so many different things, and that allows her to kind of be a little bit more um, free with her choices in cosplay. Um, but she's also always very smart about how she portrays herself and the image she puts out of herself and a lot of wrestlers don't have that she's she's very she's an incredible mind and like the nicest fucking person um, oh yeah so so nice <laughs> she's at our last show um plug fight tv uncanny attractions on that near Wyckoff avenue yes she wrestled she was fucking fantastic <laughs> Yes, uh, that match was really good. Also, <laughs> so good. Yes. Um, well, before before we get out of here, Darnell, I do have to ask you one thing because another hot topic within whenever we're talking about the MCU that honestly, anytime you get a couple of uh, queer people together to talk about it, you cannot but help a touch on it. Representation. Um, mm. Obviously, the MCU has not been the best about it um i'm curious to get if you have any uh feelings about the uh the lack of representation within the mcu proper even though you know kevin feige is out promising you know we're having a gay character show up in the eternals and they're promising to like make, to introduce a trans character somewhere down the line like what how did how are you feeling about the the state and potential of LGBTQ representation within the the MCU? Um, I think uh, the rumor has it that when the MCU uh, started, the gentleman, I don't remember his name, uh, who was the head of MCU was, you know, very racist, very sexist, very homophobic. And that's why uh, one of, you know, uh, Patty Jenkins infamously left the, the, directing Thor 2 because of it, um, Edgar Wright with Ant-Man just because it couldn't sort of work with this particular gentleman uh, when it came to creative differences. Um, and I think what's really, really important when we talk about representation of diversity anywhere, representation of diversity is not just, hey, here's this character on the screen. It also comes in your cast and your crew. And uh, I you know, Tessa Thompson is the only person I can think of right now from the top of my head that is openly queer that's on the MCU cast that I can honestly think of. Um, and to me, that's also an issue. Like, I think that, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, most of us who are queer came out later in our lives. So we were really good at hiding being straight. So if you're an actor, you're probably great at it. like why aren't we hiring queer people just to play roles we're you know the sexuality could be whatever but you know why is there this sort of set group of people that you're hiring uh apparently the person one of the people in the eternal uh, is queer um it's clear they have a boyfriend but you know whatever um you know I think that's stuff that they should be happy about and proud about. Um, I also think that their relationship with Disney, obviously being owned by Disney, uh, leaves me a lot of doubt. I I had a very rough argument once with my friends because I had not seen Beauty and the Beast in me, but there is a gay moment. I was like, no, there's not. 
like, but there is a gay moment. I was like, no, there's not. Like, no, but, and I was like, no, no, no. See, what you and I, like, think uh, a gay moment is, it's very different. This man being in women's clothing for a second and holding hands with a guy at the end, that ain't gay. That's just, um, hey, I can cut this out because China doesn't like it. <laughs> or, or because this, or because this country doesn't like it, or that country doesn't like it, and if you can cut it out, then it's and it's not essential to anything happening. It ain't gay. Uh, I need a little bit more than that. If you can cut out that Star Wars character that's kissing in the background, it's like a Where's Waldo of faggotry. Like yeah. I, that that means sorry for that word. Um, no, that's okay. That means nothing to me. Uh, I think that if they're gonna do it, you need to fucking do it. I think you're big boys and big girls and big non, non-binary people. You can, you can handle it. You can do it. Um, and it needs to be integral to the plot. I have zero, honestly, like uh, faith in them to do it because uh, they seem very apprehensive to do it all the time. Uh, I would like in the, in the internals to it be a significant plot point. Uh, I forget the name of the gentleman who is playing the gentleman. Uh, who is gay in that movie. I can see him. Uh, That doesn't help anyone. But, uh, you know, like, if you're going to be gay, be gay. I want to see you at home, you know, yelling at him because he didn't wash the dishes after you cooked. Like, I want to see normal stuff. It doesn't need to be hounded in my head that, like, you're queer, but I want to see life with queer people in the same way every single one of these films has given me it with straight people. It makes no sense. I, what I, you know what? Let me take that back. The movie that's going to be really unabashedly gay is going to be Thor 4. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that Marvel realizes it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, think, I think everyone's talking about the Eternals. And I don't really think it's going to be... No, I think the cast is great. I know Angelina Jolie's there, which is whatever. Uh, I don't particularly care for her. Um, but the rest of the cast is fantastic. And but I think that Thor 4 is, I think, I can never say the gentleman's name, but he's really hot and yay New Zealand. Oh, uh, Taika Waititi. And thank you. What We Do in the Shadows is fantastic, by the way. Uh, yes. I'm on season two. It's great. But uh, <laughs> it's, I think he's one of the people who's very much so more fashion forward, uh, or sorry, um, uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that he's going to put it into the story more than anyone else is, and he's going to make a weirdly very queer movie that I think that the Hollywood studios won't realize is super queer, but it's actually really queer. It's like Poe, what's his name, Poe and Finn from mm-hmm. Star Wars. The gayest storyline. Oh, yeah. Like, gay. I'll come back to you. Here's my jacket, because we're going to prom. <laughs> Just make out already. Uh, so gay. Yeah, and they didn't even realize how gay it was. It was great. And the fact and the fact that like Oscar Isaac is like, oh yeah, I totally gayed it up. Because <laughs> like, I he was like, I felt like they were clearly boyfriends, so that's how I played it. Um, which is great. Uh but I think uh, uh he's gonna give us that in Thor for Love and Thunder and more. I think it's I think uh, I think it's gonna be so gay. <laughs> I cannot wait. I know. Just looking at already, like some of the like su- like subtle notes that he put into Ragnarok, like I can only imagine what he's gonna do with Love and Thunder, like just blowing this all the way out. 
this will be so good. Um, yeah, and he and he's the he's the right type of director that you know I know they love the Russo brothers who I think did a very very good job with the Avengers films. I think Winter Soldier is one of the best films. It's a great film, um, but I. I, I think they they really hit a like nice sweet spot with him. Even uh, the guy who does Guardian of the Galaxy, the weird guy. Oh, James, James Gunn. Gunn. Yeah. Even though he's got some issues, to wrap that shit up. But like he's quirky and he's interesting. I still wish uh, Edgar Wright would have done Ant Man, even though I do really really enjoy Ant Man. Because um, I, I I think the more they stare in that direction as they change the phases, I think the better they I think the better they are for the long run. Because at the end of the day, don't you want to touch every single demographic? Because every demographic you touch, the more money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Can't say it Which better is myself. wrestling. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it all ties back in together. It's all the same. Exactly. <laughs> Hit every demographic. You know, never go for the same demographic. Always try to get that person that doesn't like comic books, that person that doesn't like um, wrestling. It's why Avengers does so well, and it's why WrestleMania and Warrior Rumble always do well. Yes, exactly. Well, Darnell, thank you so much for, for coming by the show. Let everybody know where they can find you online and, and anything that we uh, might have going on um, outside of the COVID. <laughs> um, I... Thank you so much for having me, first of all, because I actually never get to talk about MCU, which uh, I love comic books. So um, that was very pleasant. So I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter, on Twitter, on Twitter, at Dinolicious. Uh, you can also follow Uncanny Attractions. It is a, a queer company based out of New York that I am one of the producers of uh, with um, MV Young and Lynn Fraley. Uh, at uncanny underscore attract. Uh, I am also a part of a podcast called the Pro Wrestling Mothership Network with several different podcasts on our network. Uh, I host the main show called Pro Wrestling Mothership where we talk about news from AEW, Progress, WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and all that goodness. Uh, and then I also host a podcast called the Queer Nerd Podcast <laughs> um, where I talk to typically wrestlers um, about their lives in wrestling and uh, their trials and tribulations. But there's one key thing. You have to be queer, a woman, non-binary, or something else, a person of color, because I show you know, straight white guys get all the fun, and uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but, yeah, uh, so thank you so much for having me. Now I really want to watch something like Marvel. I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. Like, I think that excitement, is, I, I honestly kind of want to go pop in Winter Soldier right now. So I might go do that. I watched it last night. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I watched it literally last night. It's so good. It's like, oh, gosh. I know. Oh, goodness. Uh, thank you, Darnell. Thank you so, so much. All right, everybody, welcome back to LGBT in the ring. Um, and in keeping with uh, this week's uh, Marvel theme for our, our podcast here at SB Nation, I honestly couldn't think of a better person to have on to talk all things Marvel comics or comic books in general than uh, my good friend who you heard on the Open Till Midnight reunion episode. Um, he is basically a walking, talking encyclopedia of comic books. Um, Hollis Adler. Welcome back to the no show. Pre- no pressure now, damn it. Hey, hey it's all right. But 
you rise to remember it. The, the rawhide kid shoe size. I'm out. They'll just they'll, they'll replace me. What well, is the I mean, kid shoe size? <laughs> I mean, he's got a pretty big foot. I'd say I'd say twelve and a half wide, pretty easily. Sweet, we're shoe brothers. The uh, I uh, I'm happy to be back. Always happy to be back. Always happy uh, to be lending you a hand, uh, especially given the topic today. There was there was no way I could say no. Oh, of course. No. Um, and it's very interesting that we actually had this idea um, come to us this week for for this week's podcast here at SB Nation, because um, it really gives uh, gives us a chance to talk about um, some issues within the MCU, most notably things that kind of tie into the audience for a show like this and most of Outsports' content, the LGBTQ community, because if there's one no. community... That is like if there's one community that has been uh, underserved by the Marvel Cinematic Universe up to this point, despite what Kevin Feige is has been promising for the next uh, phase of films, it is the LGBTQ community. Um, let let's let's get down to brass tacks here just to start off with like we in the films themselves we have one explicitly queer character in the entirety of the thing. And it basically amounted to a cameo one line character in Avengers Endgame. They waited until the end of the saga to introduce a character that made it like in passing, like literally just in passing. And then in that, well, we got our gay character. We're good. I mean, and, and I know Kevin Feige has come out and we, said, uh, there's going che- to be, sorry. We checked that. I said, we checked that box. Right there, yes. be a few. Good job, good job, team. Good job, there everyone. We go. And I know that Feige has come out and said, you know, we're getting a gay character in the Eternals, and he's he's said that that they're going to introduce a trans character somewhere down the line. You know, very vaguely referring to that. But we like, it's amazing to see like the, some of the complacency that's happened with the MCU. Um, especially whenever you hold up that mirror to what Marvel has done in like their their comics, like the books themselves, you know, where the like, characters are so much more to them. That's that's true, but let's also um, let's not let's not sugarcoat it. Um, Marvel, all all the, the you know the the big two, uh, DC and Marvel, uh, they have had they've had a hard time with LGBT representation. Um, and that's nothing new. Um, the the first out character, I believe, um, at least for Marvel, was Northstar, uh, the uh, the French Canadian mutant in uh, Alpha Flight. That was the late '80s, early '90s. Um, he came out in a storyline about um, he was a, he's a Canadian superhero, and his storyline was about a, a fellow older Canadian superhero. Uh, wait for it. Major Maple Leaf, um, <laughs> yeah, that's believe me, that's that's the only giggle you're going to get out of the story. Uh, Major yeah. Maple Leaf, uh, who was older, uh, had a son who was gay and died of AIDS. This was written. Uh, this was written during, uh, uh, like a during probably the 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 second round of 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 the of the AIDS epi- epidemics attempts to breach the the public consciousness and conversation um it uh, and north star uh, came out as 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 gay in that issue during that fight with major maple leaf it um it is a problematic story 
Um, but it is not a wholly meritless story. And uh, it's, you know, I, I mentioned that North Star is a mutant. Uh, the, the mutants and the X-Men, they actually have a very, they're, they're probably the, one of the more, one of the more publicly understood, like, uh, avenues of LGBT representation in the Marvel comics community. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that has, a lot of that has to do with Chris Claremont. Um, who is the 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 granddaddy of X-Men writers, had one of the longest runs in 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 the comics history, uh, made the X-Men who they were, in many ways made modern comics what they were. But uh Claremont often tried to push the borders. He was writing in the late 70s, early 80s. Um he uh he famously wanted to make Mystique, uh the shape-changing female villain, uh born male, but once they discovered their powers, she became more comfortable as a female and who had a wife uh, uh irene adler aka uh destiny the the mutant who was precognitive uh mm-hmm. who were married they were married together um editorial not uh you know of course vetoed that at the time um actually fun fact um chris claremont rather than asking permission the next time he wanted to do it he just wrote uh kitty pride and rachel summers who is the time traveling hypothetical possible potential future daughter of gene gray and scott summers i i I fucking love (laughs) comics i love comics because you could say like the hypothetical future dystopian future daughter of uh but no rachel summers and kitty pride in the beginning of the excalibur comics also written by chris claremont late 80s early 90s they were explicitly written as a couple but since he never said it editorial didn't really come down on him that hard (laughs) yeah um and that kind of easier to ask for forgiveness than permission idea very much continued through the 90s and early aughts i would say right up until the the abandoning of the comics code authority in the in the early aughts around 2001 2002 um in fact the the comic book series that inspired the the abandoning of the comics code authority uh label was the peter milligan and mike allred's remake of the x-force series uh, which turned into ecstatics and they had a very explicitly gay character in i think their second issue uh who admittedly did die in the third issue but that being said again like you're gonna see reading into the history of 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 lgbt characters in comics and marvel comics you're gonna see the phrase problematic but not without merit come up a lot yeah and it that is, and barrier gaze. Oh yeah, a lot of barrier gaze. Yeah, and it's it is a shame to see that 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 less than proud tradition has sort of carried over into the movies as well. It is, it is, and and it's interesting to see how that's has progressed because it feels almost like you're back in the Claremont era, like the early Claremont era, where editorials coming down on them and they're having to like sneak certain things in to get the, these messages into the into the films themselves when you know a lot of people point to valkyrie in thor ragnarok who uh, tessa thompson who portrayed that character basically said that she played the character as uh, you know in mind as a bisexual woman um but that never is explicitly stated in the film ever in any way shape or form um, yes exactly. so like, and that was that was not the wish of uh, uh watiti either the director he, I mean, he wanted that character 
to be bisexual. Yeah. So these these aren't decisions being made by necessarily the the creative end of the of the production, you know, sort of mechanism. No, it's so, definitely a, it's from the top. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that's, you know, and your comparison to editorial there, you know, pretty apt. That being you, said, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, why do you think that is, though, whenever you're, like, considering how far, like, cultural acceptance of the LGBTQ community has come since, like, the late 70s, early 80s, like, why do you think that there's still this kind of approach to where, like, they had to be so calculated with how they want to, like, roll out characters for marginalized communities in that way especially in the, in the there, film specifically in the film specifically i think i think there's there's a a a very comp i i, I think that defenders of the of these actions would say that there's a very complicated calculus that goes into what is accepted as quote-unquote family-friendly you know what could be put in a a movie that ends up with the you know the Disney logo on it essentially mm-hmm. what what boundaries they can push and what boundaries they can't um i i wouldn't say that i i i i hold those arguments to face value i think in several cases the some of the i i would say like the the higher creative in staff is looking at decisions that they feel are risky, that they know are risky, uh, from a from a sort of financial standpoint, and deciding that what what they can get away with explicitly and what they have to make subtext. If they can make it subtext, they'd rather the subtext sort of uh, sort of like take one for the team, if you will. Like I I honestly I think they look. I think some of them honestly look at the LGBT community, especially the, you know, the, there's just, I can't overstate the LGBT representation and like percentage of fandoms, like so many members of the comics fandoms, the MCU fandom specifically, the, they are, they are LGBT individuals. And I think in some cases, some creatives in the process are saying, well, you know, they'll sort of take care of their own content. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll sort of, they seem to be, you know, they, they, you know, they, they seem to be, you know, very capable of making things that they like out of the things we're already making. So what, you know, what really needs to be catered to? And I would, you know, and you might say that that seems like a, like a cynical, you know, borderline malicious thought process, but from, from what I've seen of, some of the conversations that go on in the entertainment, uh, you know, entertainment business, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. And I'm, I'm not saying this out of, out of randomness or just a, like a hypothetical. I'm saying this with at least a, a small modicum of experience with some of those conversations. Mm. I mean, all valid points, you know, I, I think it's just, it's interesting whenever you compare the the MCU films to what Marvel and you know admittedly DC as well have been doing with their television properties as well because like while the MCU has been basically you know bereft of LGBTQ representation you have shows like Supergirl where they have you know they have 
lesbian characters. They have a trans character. You have Black Lightning that has a, a, a lesbian character. You have even in Marvel's own like stash, like you have the Runaways on Hulu, where you have multiple characters who um, are of varying sexualities. Um, you know, they're they don't even like necessarily clearly define where they are, like whether they're like bisexual or they're just straight up just LGBTQ or at least you know questioning in that way. So it's, it's interesting to me that the TV properties themselves have been much more apt to in, in, in tell those stories or at least have those characters be able to be there to tell those stories. DC, I think, goes back somewhat to who is heading that that division in Greg Berlanti, because Greg Berlanti, you know, he is out and that is a a, a gay man who is able to tell LGBTQ stories. Um, very true. Very yeah, true. because he has the knowledge of how to do that, and it speaks to like what happens whenever you put people from these communities in a position where they have where they can tell their stories. Like, why do you think outside of Berlanti? Because obviously, like everything Berlanti has touched has turned to gold almost for DC. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it is. It is so. Just small, quick tangent. It is. Yeah. It is a bizarre world we live in where the absolute best things to be coming out of Archie comics and DC comics, like as multimedia are on the CW and not like in their, in like, especially for DC, like the multi hundred of millions dollars. I, you know, I've seen justice league once the movie justice league once, and I'll probably never need to watch it again for as long as I live. Yeah. But like, if you ask me to watch legends of tomorrow again, I'm like, yeah, which season when are, like, what are we doing? Let's, let's do this yes god yes the, no like black lightning is probably my, one of my favorite things on tv right now black black i will never forget like how much the first episode of black lightning grabbed me and i'm like i'm in yeah um and it did not like i there's you know it didn't have to go as hard as it did but it did and like it just threw it through everything like so many great performances like so many great moments i think of uh tobias just like not even paying attention as a dude gets eaten by piranhas in his office yes <laughs> like uh the um it's like it's uh james remar as uh as uh gamby um i just uh cress williams is black lightning God, there is there is not a dull like there's not there there is not a dud in the main cast. There just no. isn't. Not at all. And then like Batman versus Superman comes out and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, what have you done? I just sorry, that's that's a quick tangent. I apologize. Getting back to your question, why the television shows and not the movies? I you know, I try not to answer to the cynic in me. But it, it really, I think, one, it's oh, we need represent, representation. Let's put it in the in the in the less risky, you know, less expensive, less you know, less sort of exposed to the public television shows mm -hmm. than these massive tentpole films. Um, the um, that's you know, the, I I would rather I would rather not express. You know the cynic in me, but if, if I got to get down to brass tacks, I'm I'm betting that's at least come up. Like, oh yeah, let let Berlanti make you know make everything you know that you know every every you know everyone gets representation. 
on the CW. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. The I, I would like if that weren't the case, but it's also if you look over at Marvel, you mentioned the Runaways, Agents of uh, Agents of Shield. Uh, does yes, you know, yes. does not does not seem uncomfortable at all with uh, you know addressing you know characters being LGBT. Yeah, especially the, for a major network show like that. Absolutely. Um, I, although, honestly, Agents of Shield, if you if you just, if they made a season just called like Clark Gregg reads the phone book for five hours, I'd be like, all right, here's my five dollars. Like, let me let me in that room. Like, let me let me see that footage you've got. <laughs> the it's it's unfortunate, but it's I I really think it's true. Now I think I yeah I I think that. That they are they are less they are less willing to take a chance on representation that may offend more more myopic viewpoints that might get exposed to their you know their their movies that they might be potential customers, but I also think that the success of films like Black Panther and Captain mm-hmm. Marvel and uh, and really Guardians of the Galaxy two as well like. I think the success of the movies that have uh, Thor Ragnarok, the success of that one as well, the movies, the MCU movies that have gotten a little further off the beaten path when it comes to what, what, you know, what can heroes look like? Who can heroes be? I think that they are disproving that cynicism just, just hour per hour, just inch by inch. And that makes me a little bit more hopeful for the future. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of the future, I think this is a good chance for us to kind of delve into Phase Four and beyond here, because like they're like in game. That was in game for the saga, but they're still definitely going places going forward here. Um, obviously, you know, Faggy announced that there there's a gay character in the Eternals coming up. Um. My personal opinion on that is that like good on them for, for finally like doing that, but also it's very telling that they're doing that within a property that doesn't necessarily have the same cachet name value as a lot of other uh, properties that they've introduced um, in the, very, the previous phases. Very true. I um, I I I guess you could call me an Eternals fan, um, if by that you mean someone who will read literally or will look at any picture Jack Kirby even like touched. Yes. Um, uh, Eternals is kind of, especially its original incarnation under, under Jack Kirby's pen was a, was a trip and a half, but you're, you're absolutely right that it does feel like, again, this, this sort of this concept of LGBT representation needing to be done quote unquote safely. Um, and you know, uh, doing it in the Eternals feels very much like that. But you you bring up you know Phase Four and beyond. While the Eternals might, you could make the argument that doing so there is playing it safe. Let I think that argument could be made much less so when it comes to uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. That's the one I'm really looking for. Yeah, why is that? Well, just number one, I will watch at this point. Watiti's proven himself to be so capable. I will watch literally anything he directs. I will watch. I will watch him try to remember his own home movies, and I will watch with rapt attention. <laughs> like 
I will watch him explain to me how a cup of gas station coffee tasted uh, because I think he could make it engaging and fun and make you think. Like, I, I don't think enough people... Thor Ragnarok was a story about how a society built on like on on malicious behavior can very rarely overcome its own toxicity and that to do so you like may have to give up things that you take as granted and moral to move on to a better tomorrow and that's in a fucking thor movie <laughs> so Watiti tackling the idea of what does partnership look like? What is what does the idea of a king and queen of Asgard look like? What does what does royalty look like when you get to decide the terms? What does what does a relationship look like when you know you're you're combining like leadership and authority and power and things like that? I think Watiti could have a lot of fun with those questions. I think I think it will be respectful thoughtful fun that even to members of the community may may be a little eye-opening that's what that's what really draws me into that one hmm. Plus, i mean have you, seen, have you seen the font they used oh yes the title? <laughs> yes look at, I have. <laughs> look at that blue to orange gradient with the white in the middle it's like it's like they look at the transformers title like that but more heavy metal like I more heavy metal in the '80s Transformer font. Like, I, I absolutely love the route that the the detour that it ha- they have taken with the Thor franchise by giving it to Watiti, like going from Ragnarok into this next pathway. Like it's it's been the the it was the breath of fresh air that the franchise, not just Thor, because def- Thor definitely needed a breath of fresh air after Dark World, but the <laughs> the entire MCU in a lot of ways, like it, it's it, it gave. This the thing a penchant to have fun while also like being serious at the same time, in a way uh, yeah. that what you just didn't see in other films in the series. I, honestly, Thor and the uh, uh, Ragnarok and the Ant Man movies. Yes, I, I I I feel like too many people sleep on the Ant Man movies when they are some of the most fun I've had in a theater that I can remember in my adult life. Hmm. Well. Since we are continuing into the phase four and beyond for for the MCU, we have to talk about, you know, you brought them up earlier um, and we spoke about this on our previous podcast here on the Outsports Podcast Network this week. Um, the X-Men. Oh, they yeah. are we were... coming into the MCU at some point down the line. Absolutely. And this, this cannot be, you know, I, um, I know you. Uh, this is a this is mainly a sports content, uh, sports podcast for for sports people who love sports. Um, and I'm I'm hoping if you're listening to this, you love the MCU a little bit. You're, you've gotten engaged with it. Maybe you've, you're not a big comic book fan. Maybe you, yeah, you've you've probably seen you know the movies started in like the early aughts and and they're still coming out. You know, one or one or two from like Fox and stuff. But the the X Men for the like their importance as like LGBT representation cannot I, I don't I don't think it could be overstated. Like as as comic book entities. I really don't. Yeah. Um the the X-Men are kind of because you know the premise of the X-Men is that they fight they fight to save a world that hates and fears them. Like they 
they are constantly looking for their place in a society that is really that is very comfortable with being public about how much it's not totally cool with them and some creators especially in the past 20 years with the x-men characters and that sort of core philosophical message have figured out how close that is to the lgbt experience i feel like i feel like missing that now this this being yeah you know, this being said about you know they're going to be coming into the MCU, um, you know Fox uh, Fox sold the rights I, I think Fox just got sold to Disney I think Fox, I think Disney just bought Fox yeah they acquired, a, good, a good chunk of it yeah 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 and they they acquired the rights to make X Men movies and we know that they are in pre development this is a long way out but I think that Marvel Studios would be if, the, if we were talking before Black Panther, if we were talking before Captain Marvel, before Ragnarok, you know, there would be, I think there would be cause to be a little bit more cautious. But I think that the Marvel Studios that made those movies, looking at what the X-Men properties could be, I do, there there seems, there does not seem to me to be a, like a chance in the world that there is not some very, very pointed LGBT representation in the in the x-men movies so like there's the the characters that have that have been lgbt in the x-men there's more than a few there you know that have been confirmed either you know i either in the comics directly or by the authors um i mentioned north star earlier uh colossus in the in the ultimate x-men line the um didn't know if you uh although to, to to explain the ultimate line of comics we'd be here for another hour so i'm not I'm yeah. just going to I'm just going to assure you that a a version of Colossus. <laughs> the um, uh, I mentioned Kitty Pride, uh, who is uh, uh, one of those characters who, um, you look if you're not a comic book fan and you want to know like how weird can comics get, look up the history of a character named Kitty Pride and just have fun. You know, you're welcome for the insomnia you're going to get on that night reading through that Wikipedia page. <laughs> um. More recently, uh, Iceman, one of the original five X-Men, has yes. come out as gay. Um, that And while the story in which it happened was, again, problematic, um, I, think, I think the potential that some, that even now, even, after, even though it's only recently happened, some creators are taking with it is amazing. Of course, you have Mystique, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, you have Richter. Um, you have Karma. Um, yeah, Negasonic Teenage Warhead from the Deadpool movie specifically, mm-hmm. um, who I thought was great. Uh, I really, oh did. yeah, so and good. That that honestly again points to me like that with their with the you know the Deadpool movies that have already tread a little bit of this ground. They've already kind of broken the barrier, so we can move past it and just have these characters be characters, be who they are, represented in the movie. Um. That that to me, if you're if you're wondering, is the X Men franchise, you know, from before Beyond Phase Four, that's the one to look. That's the one to look for when you're looking for, I think, more loud, proud, out there representation for the community. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with you on that. Like, I think that's the that's the most logical place for for a lot of these these characters and stories to kind of slide in. Whether it's subtext or not, I think it's you can be much more overt with it within those uh, guidelines. We've seen that already. You know, before we got on uh, recording here, we were talking about the original X Men films, like the films that really made the superhero 
genre into the blockbuster, like like redefined it into the blockbuster era that it's in now. You know, Brian Singer, for as many things that we can say that are terrible about him, um, and because we, there are and, many, many, and, and we can and we should. Uh, yes. Actually, yes, actually, we should. We're, let's uh, everyone. Let's just take a moment to remind you, uh, Brian Singer is fucking terrible. Just, yes. just, just no good. Anyway, yeah. please continue. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Brian Singer, um, actually, you know, was another um gay voice that was able to tell these stories um and and really infused a lot of that perspective into the the original trilogy of the x-men back in the early aughts um you know i think we were talking about x2 um before we got on here like had one of the most like iconic lines that really plays off of that and i'll throw it over to you to kind of discuss that a little bit more because i don't want to steal your thunder there (laughs) i'm sorry what did you want me to oh x2 Oh yeah, no. I, what I was saying about uh, X two was they. It was one of the first places where you start. So, just to preface this, the X Men like, and I want to make this clear: the X Men have always been queer. Like the X Men is pretty much for who the X Men are. They are who they are under the pen of Chris Claremont, or at least that's who they started as in in very real three dimensional terms. And Claremont threw around subtext, you know, the way you throw around barbecue sauce at a well, you know what? I'm actually, I'm not going to finish that metaphor. I just feel <laughs> I'm, um, he used a lot of subtext. Um, the, uh, my point is uh, actually not to get, you know, too personal here, but one of the first places I remember thinking about myself and who I was as a queer person was in relation to two characters uh, he created, or at least he, he pinned mostly uh, Pyro and Avalanche. They were mm. two bad guys they were on the brotherhood of you know the brotherhood of evil mutants um but it was it was pretty explicit that they were more than just best friends and that's one of the first places i remember seeing that and it really internalizing with me that there was something you know for lack of a better term different about me um x2 was X2 sort of carried the tradition of that very strong Claremont subtext. Yeah, you know, I I will always remember like, you know, the the pitch perfect line of Iceman's mom asking like, "Have you tried not being a mutant?" Like <laughs> that's how that's how much they tied the idea of the X-Men to the LGBT experience. And it and it really as a like a central kind of metaphor like for like the core belief of the books, it works really well. That that's not to say that they don't that there aren't some other things coming up, you know, post uh, post phase four that that don't have you know merit or interest. Uh, Captain Marvel two is coming out. Um, the uh, um, Sam Raimi Sam Raimi may be directing the next Doctor Strange movie, which is titled Multiverse of Madness. Um, and Raimi is not one to shy away from what he considers good material for good stories. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a real chance to see some kind of some stuff there. And also don't forget the television shows we have coming out. Um, the um, we talked about, you know, some subtext in, you know, the MCU movies as they are so far, you know, some of the places that was strongest was with winter soldier with Bucky and with captain America. Yes. And you've got Bucky taking a front seat in Falcon and winter soldier. 
so I think there's a chance, especially with what Sebastian Stan has sort of said, like as a as a performer playing this character, I think there's a I think there's a better than zero chance that we're going to see some of that out of the new show. And with those shows, like we were just sort of talking about before, there's that idea that you can experiment a little bit more, take a few more chances than you have to with these big tentpole films. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely it's definitely an easier chance to take you know but at some point that has to translate into the the larger scale stuff as well and you know we can Absolutely. we yeah and and we have places where we can be hopeful about that you know we you know we've definitely already we've got the eternals you know guarantee we, we'll see how that works out we've got the promise of a trans character down the line we have the promise of the x-men coming into into this series in some way shape or form hopefully that will present an opportunity for them to address these sort of things as well. Um, where do you um, honestly like feel this sort of stuff will, will land like in, in what area and how do you think the like, given Disney's track record with, with this sort of stuff, because obviously we, we railed on the, the end game cameo earlier, but let's not forget like how, how um, like toyed um, or not toyed how touted <laughs> there's the word um was that uh that scene at the end of the rise of skywalker where they're like oh well, we have our first like uh lesbian or uh queer character in star wars and it's literally just um a moment at the end of of the film like is is right. this going to continue to be like what disney sees as providing this like olive branch to the community or do you think that they're really going to dive headfirst into something like what they did with black panther for the black community or what they're aiming to do with uh, like films like shang chi for uh for the asian community oh, I, I can't believe we for like we didn't get into shang chi yeah. oh, man man that looks good and i think i think you sort of i think you hit the nail on the head there in the examples and um and by that i mean you mentioned black panther um before the black panther movie came out there was a lot of you know who and you know who's this guy and, and stuff like that and then civil war hit and they did an amazing job integrating black panther into that story and using it as a chance to like okay we have this we have this character who doesn't have as much of a public persona but we want to put him in a movie Let's get him out here and get him in front of the audience. And doing so, just the dam broke open. Like, it mm -hmm. was just like, this character seems great. You know, I, I've got to see more of him. You know, and then, and then of course, Black Panther came out and was, uh, and this is a scientific term, fucking amazeballs. Um, yeah. The, I think it's going to take, so I think it's going to take Love and Thunder. I think it's going to take, um, I, I, you know, I think Captain Marvel two is capable of taking the chance, and I think it's going to take that. It's going to take one of the big tentpole movies, really taking a chance and putting it in the forefront of the movie, in in the brain, like in an inescapable brain space for for any any Joe Q popcorn muncher to have to look at this, you know, look at the LGBT community on on the terms of superheroes on on the same on the same level that they see Captain America, Thor, all of those other characters, all of those other, you know, performers, all of those other stories. I, to me, I feel like it's going to take, I, I think, I feel like it's going to take Love and Thunder really knocking it out of the park 
or Captain Marvel 2, assuming that they go that direction, really knocking it out of the park. Because at the end of the day, as as great as these movies are, and as fun as they are, they're controlled by a by a very large, very intricate, you know, very driven business. And that business is very reticent to take chance, at least, you know, and at, you know, at least on kind of the large scale. And slowly but surely, that's kind of gotten knocked down. You see, you see these, these Marvel movies taking more and more chances, you know, with, you know, it started with like the Guardians of the Galaxy and like, who were these idiots? And then like you watch a movie like, oh, they're my idiots. I love them. I love them all. You know, I love Gun Happy Raccoon. I love Talking Tree. I love I love Hulk Batista. I love them all. <laughs> yes, um, the, those are their uh, their Christian names. Yes, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> those, are their, those are their baptismal names. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the we've I feel like I feel like the you know the story of the MCU is the story of creators pulling you know, a multi-billion dollar business closer and closer to, or at least trying to, closer and closer to the idea of of inclusiveness and diversity not being buzzwords, but being necessary alchemy to telling 21st century stories. Hmm. And that, I mean, that is, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of wonderment and, you know, a possibly a naive amount of of hope to put in the creators of of you know multi-million dollar you know popcorn munching flicks but i really do think that's the case and the it's i i feel like it's gonna take one of these big tentpole feel good take the kids to see it movies not being afraid of showing queer characters to really to really to make this stop being a question of of like oh who's brave enough or like oh is it is it safe enough to do this you know because you, you made a point earlier and you're completely right it is a it is a damn shame that we still have to talk about media in terms of like you know what kind of crumbs are we going to get you know what i mean mhm the um and i think that's going to be i think the I think the the moment, you know, a a queer embrace, uh, you know, two characters who are queer embrace or kiss, and that movie makes half a billion dollars. I think the conversation changes pretty pretty dramatically. I mean, yeah, I mean, it basically has to at that point because that's based. That, I mean, that's that's the measure of success within these films, and there's no reason why that story can't be told, you know, especially if you commit to telling that story, you know, that's why black Panther worked. They committed to telling a, a story about blackness and, yes. and it, it amazingly was uh, engaged for, for a lot of the community because they finally got to see themselves there. You know, I think that's, we brought up the, we brought up Shang-Chi like that's going to, I feel like is, a very similar thing for the Asian community there as well. Um, and I think if you're able to let that voice be at the forefront, like you were saying, like that's really where the, the line of demarcation sits 
in this because like yeah we've been getting crumbs for for the longest time but someone has to definitively tell that story and whenever that story is the one that makes the money comparable to other films even if it isn't as successful as black panther like it just has to it just has to be something where you're telling this story in earnest and making people feel like they see themselves within these characters because like i love tessa thompson and i love valkyrie and i get i look at valkyrie and i see a bisexual woman but nothing in the film tells me that and if you're not willing to let your film speak for themselves like what are you even doing absolutely it's you know i i want i i want my i hear you I, I look at there are characters I look at and I can I can see myself in in you know as 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 a queer person and I want but I, I I want that for everyone in the LGBT community. I want a trans person to be able to see themselves as a hero on the silver screen yes. you know saving saving the world. And while it feels like it's taking forever because it really feels like it's taken forever. Yeah. I feel like we're moving closer and closer to that being true every day. I think, I think especially with some of the creators we've got teed up, I think that, you know, because, and James Gunn and, and Taika Waititi are the two that really spring to mind. Um, but that there always there's going to be creators behind them as well coming up, younger ones, ones who are more attenuated to to the normality of 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 queer representation, and you know it's I, I've I've talked to other people in the community before, and you know uh, it's it's you know I've heard before it's just a matter of time. But I feel like in that conversation, we forget how frustrating it is to wait. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially when you've been waiting for so long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and kind of talk through some of this stuff because I, this is this is normally like front porch talk for us, but I'm really glad to have that <laughs> conversation here. Where we can share it with everybody else. It's, it's always fun. Uh, last question for you, and then I want you to plug the shit out of everything that you've got going on. Um, uh, since we are talking about the MCU, we want to end on a, on a on a fun note here, I guess. What is your favorite film so far in the MCU? Oh, don't do that. Oh, no, I know. It's that. a toughie. Uh, it's a toughie. Okay. Oh, uh, hold on. Um, I, I have to pick one. I can't do, like, top three. Um, <laughs> you can do top uh, three. You can do top okay, three. all right, top, top three. Yeah. Uh, Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, uh, Thor Ragnarok, and I gotta uh, either Ant Man or Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, they're both they both have great moments, but one of the two my, leaning closer to Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, that I mean, and that's the thing that list was completely different four years ago because. Those movies hadn't really come out then, <laughs> yeah. but like that's sort of, I guess, I guess that's sort of where my my optimism for where this is going is coming from. Um, 
the uh it feels like we've been moving in the right direction so far for so long that you know at this at, at this point it feels like the momentum is sort of on our side at least i hope it is yeah no i i think it i think it is moving that way i think it definitely is um and hopefully it will continue to move that way um but yeah what about you what about you i gotta hear your top three top three chances all right well ragnarok's definitely there um black panther definitely and then oh man um spider-man far from home that's it's not a bad one but i was about to say it's almost when you get to the third one it's almost impossible because you have like you're like oh no who who do i leave in the cold <laughs> <laughs> i know because like ant-man and the wasp i really i i love ghost of that movie i love the villain of that movie and just oh god there's like there's so many other films like the original guard the first guardians of the galaxy is is really good in my book um they were the first ant-man also like there's just so many of these films are are so good and it's it's hard to, to whittle it down so but there that that's my three right now and it's also very telling those are some of the more recent ones as well um captain marvel probably close fourth in that list captain Mar- i really liked captain marvel captain marvel was I, I i was amazed at how captain marvel to me felt like i and i'm not i'm not please understand i'm not saying this to be like uh to say that Captain Marvel is not a story about a woman discovering herself being like, it's like a guy's story, but no, it, <laughs> what, um, <laughs> yeah, I damn myself with a the preface there. Uh, but Captain Marvel's story felt to me so much like reading a good Superman comic. And by that, I mean, it wasn't about how much raw physical power Carol had. Like that wasn't important. It, like, Whatever she needed to do physically, she probably could because, you know, energy. Who cares? That's not the important question here. That's not the important thing that's going on. The important thing is, what is Carol doing? Like, why is she doing it? Like, the how, who gives a shit? She has energy blasts, and that Matt takes care of the how. I don't care. But, like, self-discovery, who you're fighting for, how you fight for them, who's really the bad guy and like who really is just desperate people in need of help that like that reminds me of the when you know that to me personally as a lifelong comic book fan i'm like this is a great comic story because it reminds me of the great comic book stories that have been told you know with characters like if this character is mighty enough to do anything then any then everything they do can be powerful Mm-hmm. like and that that is that is i i was not i was walking into captain marvel expecting to have a good time i was not expecting that 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 was good yeah no i yeah right there with you <laughs> just everything about that film just the most pleasant of surprises oh yeah agree oh yeah 100 yeah, uh well hollis let everybody f- uh, know where they can find you on the internet the um uh i there's actually not a lot of places you can find me on the internet right <laughs> now. um i feel bad i should i should have prepared internet i apologize i guess if you um uh if you 
uh, you could find me on this podcast. All right. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, you don't you you don't you don't have to tell them where you can where where they can find me. More importantly, where can they find you? Where can they find more great podcasts? Where can they find more more great great articles? Oh, that'll be at altsports.com and uh, the Outsports <laughs> Podcast Network. Right in in there. Hollis, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on again. I I dude, I would I, I would never miss it. I love every time you ask, I, I can't wait to be on. Thanks again. You know, I realized that I left out two really uh, glaring exam- examples of LGBTQ representation, both positive and negative, that we've seen uh, fairly recently within the uh, the television and film landscape of uh, comic books, uh, both Marvel and DC. Um, I could not let the show go by without highlighting how awesome the first season of Batwoman has been, um, re- providing um, another core lesbian character um, within that Berlanti verse over on the CW. Um, stupendous job with that show. And then, of course, I can't let this all go away without uh, mentioning the erasure of uh, Okoye's sexuality in Black Panther. Um, that was a major travesty and, and honestly a missed opportunity for the MCU to really put a stamp on um, their ability to offer representation to that community, especially in a film like Black Panther that already did that so well for another for the black community. Um, it just it's a shame, but you know that's come and gone. We'll see what happens in the future. Um, all we can do is hope. I know I'm staying hopeful, and we'll see what happens with the Eternals. <laughs> Either way. All the discussion today was really awesome, and I cannot thank Darnell and Hollis enough for stopping by the show. Follow uh, Darnell on Twitter at at Dinalicious. Follow Uncanny Attractions at Uncanny underscore Attract. Follow Hollis on Twitter at Yesterday Bad Guy. He never puts his stuff out there for people to follow, but the dude is entertaining, and I say that completely biased because he's one of my best friends. But I love him to death, and I'm going to promote him. Even no matter what he has going on, even if he doesn't have anything going on, um, yeah, love him to death. Um, but that that brings an end to Marvel Week for me, at least, and an end to this show for this week as well. Um, so much fun, um, but can't leave like always without saying some big thank yous to people that help make this show what it is, and a special as it is. Starting with Daniel Quasar. The Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. And a big shout out to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSWBand, and you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at SarahInTheSafeWord.Bandcamp.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. Follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And if video games are your thing, definitely check out uh, the video game news podcast that I host every Monday 
It's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show that goes live every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Um, I host that with a couple of close friends who are also Twitch streamers, and it's always a blast. It's just all around fun. Um, I don't know. I like to <laughs> dive into the things that I'm passionate about. And, um, yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for us here this week. But uh, come back next week because we have a pay-per-view to review, apparently. I keep forgetting. In this age of COVID, I continue to forget that there are pay-per-views still running. But um, come back when we discuss how WWE, um, quote-unquote, climbs the corporate ladder at Money in the Bank. I don't know. That's a... Whoever greenlit that marketing plan, I swear. Anyway, come back next week. We're gonna talk money in the bank. It'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be entertaining, at least. And I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. What I mean, how could a ladder match on the roof of a fairly tall building not be entertaining? We haven't seen something like that since. Oh God, Halloween Havoc '95. I might have just brought up some uh, bad omens for, for this show. Anyway, um, until next week, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, and we'll see you next week. Everybody's Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the